Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to Ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. Mets fans, welcome to episode 299 of Amazing Avenue Audio, the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. My name is Brian Salvatore. Welcome back. It's been a while. We've missed you. We hope you missed us. Anyway, the big news this coming Saturday, November 10th, 1 p.m., McKellar at City Field, live 300th episode of the podcast, as well as meet up with Amazing Avenue favorites. I will drop some hints here. Uh, well, this isn't a hint. This is actual Chris, and I will be there, of course. Uh, we will have at least two other current contributors to the podcast. We will have at least one former co-host of the podcast. And we will have lots of beer and lots of good times. But before then, Chris McShane and I sat down to catch up on all things Mets. And uh, here that is. Well, for the first time in forever, we're back on the podcast, and the Mets are back with a new general manager. Brody Van Wagenen is the 13th general manager in Mets history. And Chris, you and I have, have been keeping in touch while we've been on hiatus, but we haven't talked about this at all, I don't think. So I have no idea how you feel about Brody. Um, my, my general <laughs> statement, and I had tweeted this last week, was that I thought we were at least 10 years away from it a professional executive being named Brody. But aside from that, I okay. don't have too, I don't know too much <laughs> of a hot take here. What do you think about uh, Mr. Van Wagenen? So 
I'm willing to give him a chance. Uh, you know, I'm not opposed to the concept of an agent, you know, switching sides. Uh, you know, he he was brief in his remarks, uh, you know, but the things he said were uh, somewhat encouraging. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm latching on a lot to, uh, you know, I want to keep Jacob DeGrom for a long time. You know, that that's the sort of thing. If you're going into this with, you know, we think we can compete in 2019 and we're not trying to blow it all up, then, yeah, lock up DeGrom. Maybe lock up some other guys. You know, he mentioned, um, you know, it, it'll be good for a team to show everybody, the players in particular, uh, that, you know, if you perform well, you'll be rewarded for that. Things like that. So that... Uh, that was a topic that I had touched on back in like June, which was the the lowest point certainly since the World Series uh, appearance, and then maybe even of Sandy Alderson's whole tenure. You know, uh, where, where the team was just playing so poorly, and that's when the tabloids took it upon themselves to Photoshop Degrom and Syndergaard into Yankees jerseys and just make a rumor because they needed a back cover for a day. Um. You know, that lasted for a while. And the point at the time was sort of exactly what he was saying. You know, whether or not he can persuade the Wilpons to spend that money uh, and lock those guys up remains to be seen. But, you know, that that stuff was encouraging. Uh, the whole process to get to him was very bizarre. Well, yeah. Uh, and, you know, the a point that was made by at least a few people that I had seen. Uh, you know, you have lots of people who have executive experience um, in front offices in baseball with other teams. And, you know, they, uh, High and Bloom was considered, obviously, he you know made it to the, the finals uh, of this interview process. But, you know, maybe they overlooked a lot of other candidates who are who are qualified so uh, i don't totally hate it you know i melvin would have been probably a more uh you know that that would have made me upset yes just you know going with someone who you know had the job and had already sort of transitioned into a, a different kind of role uh in the sport you know it's uh it, it's not really it's not ageist i don't think it's just the way his career arc had gone you know starting back up as a gm just seemed like a weird yeah. thing so yeah. and he also did not have a particularly good gm experience so right you know like like any gm he you know he made some moves that were good and and Helped the Brewers even as you know recently as this season, you know this this past month, but you know that's not everything, and you know we are so familiar with the way that people want to assign blame or credit to a general manager uh, and talk about whose team. <laughs> it really is, you know, it's it's just such a silly thing. Like, yeah, we get it. You know, organizations take a while. You know, we. I'm sure if you really wanted to do a thorough, thorough investigation of everything that happened in a franchise's history, you might be able to pinpoint who gets the most credit for a team. But um, you know, it's a silly game that we uh, that we constantly play. Yeah, yeah, I'll agree with that. Um, I, I guess my my initial thoughts aren't all that different from yours. You know, I, I think. You know, I, I'm sure you have this reputation too. It's like the Mets guy in your family slash group of friends. So a lot of people have been texting me, and be like, "Hey, so what do you think of Brody?" And I said, "Like, well, first of all, we have one press conference, and he's an agent who knows how to do press conferences. So from that perspective, like, he looked cool and collected under under the pressure of the big lights of the city. You know, he's a, he's a strapping, handsome man who." Uh, seems to be able to public speak, so all of that is going to play well in a, in a press conference. I think, you know, I like the fact that he said that there's a number of things the team has to address and that 
They are all priorities, but I think it's very hard to do that. It's very hard to say all of these things are priorities and then, you know, actually execute that. Um, I think his commitment to DeGrom is, is a good thing, like you mentioned. But I don't know. Did you watch the press conference or no? Uh, yes, okay. I saw it. Did you see the Q&A afterwards? Yeah, it was yeah. brief, but I did, yeah. Uh, somebody asked, like, well, how is how will it work, like, with a DeGrom uh, contract extension talk? Like, is Brody going to be a part of that? And Jeff Wolpon said there are provisions in his contract to prevent conflicts of interest. And they were like, can you explain that more? And Wolpon said no. <laughs> and I feel like that is the <laughs> perfect summation of everything with this process. Like, you, you can make a statement like saying there are provisions in place. You can make statements that say, you know, we're going to spend money. You can make all these statements. But unless you have an actual plan to back them up, all of these don't mean a goddamn thing. And yeah. I think we all know that, and we're all Mets fans long enough to uh, to be aware of this. But there's just a certain frustration in in the hyperbolic praise of somebody just because they uh, said the right things at a press conference. So I, I, I think he seems like a very intelligent guy. You know, he built a uh, he built a, a career as one of the the premier agents in baseball. That doesn't happen accidentally. You know, to be an agent means you have to have an understanding of lots and lots of different parts of the game. And I think that he might bring some some fresh perspective in that way that you know, other people may not have been able to bring in the same way because he comes from a totally different background that they do. And that's great. I kind of wish that went with Bloom, though. You know, I I think getting somebody from the Rays front office is a win. The Rays have been consistently good at building a team that competes with a small payroll. That, uh, you know, I think that that's an obviously very applicable skill to the Mets. So um I don't I don't love the fact that Bloom was left off the table. But I'll say this. I think that all of us had thought that Melvin was the guy because that's oh, yeah. what the Wilpons would have done. Right? Here's a here's a safe pick who's not going to make any waves who will probably work within the confines of what we give them and not challenge expectation too much. And to see them going after somebody who is so clearly outside of that normal GM hire gives me a little bit of hope. Yeah, and, you know, it's uh, it's unconventional. So, you know, there's the range of possibilities is anywhere from like complete shit show to (laughs) (laughs) World Series champions. Um, You know, if I'm trying to be positive here, uh, you know, it's he's not experienced at running a team. Sure. That's the biggest knock. But, you know, it's not like he doesn't know the sport. Um, You know, it's... uh, I don't know. As an agent, I don't know how familiar you are with players who aren't ones you represent. I'd imagine it's useful in terms of you know having context for the ones that you do. Uh, you know, but yeah, it, it's uh, I you know it's not like they did what the Cleveland Browns did and hired uh, De Podesta you know away to go to a new sport and do all that. And not that he was the only guy who's been part of that over there, but you know, they didn't go hire an NHL executive, uh, which I feel like would have been a little more of a, uh, you know, questionable process. And I guess somebody might argue even with that, that, well, that person's run a team, right? It's a different sport, but they, they have experience with that. But, you know, kind of to your point on on his success as an agent. You know, those guys aren't interacting with each other, well, except for like you know, the one third of the Mets roster that it was represented by him. Um, 
you know, but as a group, all of his clients weren't interacting with each other. But I don't know. I'm sure there's some, uh, you know, some sense of, of it being a team on his end. And, you know, you're trying to obviously get guys who are going to make a lot of money so that you and your company can make a lot of money. Have you ever seen that documentary about this, Jerry Maguire? (laughs) It's clearly a team, Chris. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I, you know, I hope I'm not trying to rationalize too much. Uh, You know, I think I'm leaving the, the door open for pretty much any outcome here. I just don't totally hate it. No, I, I don't. I don't totally hate it. I, I do think there's a lot of like weirdness that needs to be ironed out first, and not just in the conflict of interest category, which is a big one for me, because you know you want you want your um, you want your GM to be able to negotiate for you, and if if you know if the Grom extension has to happen without him. Theoretically, that's bad. I mean, I also understand that if he knows that his former agent is the GM of the Mets, he probably has more confidence in that conversation than he would have if it was somebody else's agent that is now GM of the Mets. Right. But still, you know, it's you want your GM negotiating for you, and so that's that's a little bit rough. Uh, there was also an article today, I think it was today, it might have been yesterday, on uh, from the Bergen Record about how the rumor is that the Wilpons want Rico and um and Manaya to stay on with the team. But well, I thought it was all three. It 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 kind of mentions Ricciardi in passing, but it 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 made it seem like that was the one that the Wilpons were the least invested in. Um gotcha. Yeah, no and we know like Omar is the one that they seem to be the most right, invested right, in. Yeah. Even though Rico has probably played the biggest role in the team over the past 10 years of any of those guys because he's been there consistently. Um, right. But, you know, and, and, and even something like, uh, you know, um, having Van Wagenen come in to somebody else's new, uh, you know, managerial hire is, you know, the, the, what I'm trying to say is there, there's a lot that's going on this season that may not lead for it to be hashtag Brody's team. For a while, you know, there, there's going to be a lot of leftover pieces, both on the on-field staff and in the front office. That I think most general managers probably wouldn't have dealt with. Usually, when a GM comes in, it's more of a clean break from the past. But because of the the newness of Mickey Calloway, and also the sort of uh, uh, stubborn favoritism of the uh, Wilpons, you're winding up with a lot more carryover than probably other than than you would in other situations. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Is there any is there anything he said or anything you've read about him that makes you particularly hopeful? Hmm. Um, you know, I, the, I hate to go back to the same thing, but the desire to make a commitment to Jacob deGrom was probably the thing that stood out the most and gave me the most hope. You know, he hasn't said anything, uh, bad right. yet, <laughs> which if he had, that would have been awfully impressive, <laughs> <Yeah>. but, <laughs> Lance uh, for pissing the Mets fans off. Yeah. Oh yeah. But, you know, he, he said all the right things. Uh, you know, it's really going to be about whether or not he can get the Wilpons on board with spending money when they should. And also, you know, being able to look at a guy and say, you know, look, if I'm being honest, when I was on the other side of this, you know, I'd be asking for, I'm not even talking about a specific player here, but hypothetically, you know, let's say it's a pretty good player and he'd, could come into it and and kind of give a context of, you know, I know what this agent and this player are trying to do out there in the free agent market. Uh, And, and I can sort of, you know, use that to our advantage, uh, find things that, you know, maybe when you're on 
the team side for the whole time and you don't have any of that experience, you know, maybe you can apply some of that knowledge about what might change a player's mind or whatever. DeGrom is the specific example because, you know, he's the best pitcher there is right now. And he's, you know, sort of on the cusp of a big contract, whether it happens through free agency or an extension with the Mets. Um, so that that concept, just the fact that he was so strongly emphasizing, you know, this is about players, and of course we want it to benefit, uh, you know, the organization as a whole and our fans. But you know, that this guy who clearly made a very successful career for himself, being very close with players. Now it's different when you're their boss, you know. That's new guys are going to approach him differently than new guys would have six months ago. Uh, but you know, if I'm looking at like cause for optimism, it's that if he can really get the Wilpons to say, you know, hey, you've done well, we believe in you, and we're going to pay you. You know that that could be something that really helps the organization as a whole. Because if Michael Conforto is back, which it looked like he was in the second half, uh, you know, it, and, and I know he's a Boris guy, I think. Uh, so it, it's not necessarily the easiest thing to do. But just an example of another guy. He's young, uh, potentially a very long-term contributor to a successful team. Uh, you know, I'd like to see those kind of guys stick around, you know, whether or not that effect matters, you know, if you play this out over the course of the next few years, how many guys who are former clients of his are still around and all that, you know, but if it's, if all of a sudden Jacob deGrom and Noah Syndergaard and, uh, I mean, Cespedes has already got paid, but, you know, he's hopefully going to have a pretty decent recovery process, um, wishful thinking but you know if those guys are happy it, it can't hurt uh in terms of sort of making an impression on other players who are either in the clubhouse already or thinking about where they're going to go when they you know sign a contract this winter or or you know down the road so yeah yeah i i don't know so experience with player relationships i think is is encouraging and obviously experience negotiating, albeit from the other side of the table, uh, and never with trades. But, you know, I, I'd imagine you don't get to where he was if you are bad at negotiating. Yeah, that definitely sounds correct to me. Um, my legitimate answer about the things that he said was, I, I, I want to believe him and his discussion of investing in the analytics of the team because as we know the Mets have one of the smaller analytics departments of baseball and that just seems like an even if you're not the world's biggest saber guy statistician whatever you want to say like just eliminating a potential area of knowledge and improvement for the team seems ridiculous to me just did not focus yeah. so if he's going to beef that up that's good my sort of silly answer for optimism is that Scott Boris apparently hates this. And so anything <laughs> Scott Boris dislikes, I tend to like. So, okay. You know, I'll go with that. Uh, same question I had for you before, but reverse it. What's the one thing he said or did or that you've read that really gives you pause? Hmm. Well, I don't know if it's something he specifically said. But, you know, just during during the Q&A, you know, I guess it was more than I expected that Jeff Wolpon had a microphone as well. <laughs> and I don't, I don't even re really remember anything specific standing out. But there's just something about the feel of that that, you know, you, you want to say, okay, Jeff Wolpon is here and reporters are asking questions. That's something that. You know, we don't always get. But at the same time, you, you know, you get this little image of 
who's really in charge. Well, it's funny you say that because I had my reason for negativity is that there was a word that was used multiple times, and that was or a phrase rather, which was collaboration with ownership. Yes, they just made it sound like you know he was going to be working with ownership, which to me means answering to ownership. And yes, every GM answers to ownership to a certain degree, but it just made it sound like it was going to be that, that, that Jeff was going to be involved with every conversation and we don't need that. Yeah. No, no, we don't. (laughs) Um, So what are your expectations? Just like, not in terms of, specific players or specific whatever but like what is your what are your expectations for you know this off season for him what does he have to do in the broad strokes to make you a believer in his uh in his tenure let's say you know six months from now uh sign man in machado i said not specifics <laughs> oh wait, right, right right okay um Get the well pen. Well, bleh. I can talk. I haven't even had beer really uh, in yeah, this podcast. I think I think I'm just t- well. No, I've I've had okay. a beer, but you know. Uh, but yeah, no, it, it's whether it's guys who are being extended or guys who are being brought in. Ideally, both. Getting the Wilpons to spend money on on easily identifiable good players. Um, that's good with a capital right. G, you know. And, and I'm talking a level, and I love Lucas Duda, so I don't mean any disrespect here, but probably a level or two up from that. You know, we mouth. we know. <laughs> we I don't know. The Green Man couldn't keep him in Kansas City, eh. but uh, but yeah. So that sort of thing, just the. Uh, the notion that there are players who are worth paying a lot of money and when you when they're available and it's only money you do that you know and then not spending recklessly uh you know which has sort of become i don't know when's the last time a team spent recklessly I, there have been some bad contracts and all that say, see bruce come here and there <laughs> right yeah no no i know i but that's still not. Yeah, that, was, that, that was a very fair contract, all things, all things considered. Right. Yeah. No, they didn't sign Jay Bruce for five years and one hundred twenty right. million. Yeah. You know, it, there's been. I mean, if there hasn't been collusion, there, there's there's certainly been a trend, uh, toward you know, contracts that aren't as player friendly. And I know people who get really worked up about player salaries will probably point out that. You know, several players make more than $30 million a year and all that stuff, you know. But generally speaking, the Robinson Cano contract seemed like sort of, you know, one of the last, not ever, but sort of the tail end of an era that saw a lot of deals like that. You know, Pujols was one. He was one. Um, Free agents who are already on our side of 30. (laughs) I don't want. I don't want to call it the wrong side, but our side at thirty, uh, who you know, and some of them thirty one, thirty two, thirty three, who are who had gotten you know eight, nine, ten year deals, you know that sort of thing going away. Um, so yeah, it, that's really that's really it. Um, you know, on on sort of a more granular level, I guess. Just being able to identify who is good and who isn't, you know. Uh, so the big ticket players obviously stand out. We all know who they are, but you know when you get down to, let's say we want to, you know, we're, we're the Mets front office and we want to sign three or four relievers, um, you know, what do we use to evaluate them and what what makes a good reliever in our mind, you know, that kind of thing and. You know, you, you get insight into that process pretty quickly. I, I felt like Sandy Alderson, um, for, you know, sort of the, the pros and cons of his tenure 
Uh, one of the cons was that he got burned on some early relief pitcher signings, and then seemed to think that signing a relief pitcher was like a like a serious allergy. You know, I mean, DJ Carrasco would do that to a guy. Uh, yeah, and Frank Francisco. Yeah, yeah. No, but like, all right, you, you struck out a little bit on shitty relievers on teams that didn't matter. Not the end of the world, you know. Um, so the last winter sucked because it felt like that was one where there were a lot of really good relievers out there and not all of them were getting paid. Uh, like they were really good, you know? So in, in, uh, Sandy's defense, I don't think any of those guys set the world on fire this year. Um, hold on. One of my guys, uh, Neshek was hurt. Um, I should have made this an AOP and had it be the only two moves and then <laughs> never done another AOP. But I wanted the Sheks. I wanted C-Shek and Neshek. I remember that, yeah. Because, yeah, you know, when's the last time anybody else had those four letters and the name? And the, uh, the, the, the one year I did my AOP was to sign David Murphy and uh, who was the third? It was Daniel, David, and... Oh. Oh man, I remember this being a thing. Long ago, it was like four years ago, no. five years ago. It was when Murphy was still on the team, and I I made like right. the best painting and said all the Murphs. Yes. Yeah. Well, we'll we can <laughs> find, it. Need to find it. <laughs> maybe, maybe not right now. But yeah, it, it, so in my defense, my Sheck plan would have worked out pretty well, uh, Pat. Uh, Neshek was um, he was hurt for part of the year, so he didn't pitch that much. But he finished the season with a two point five nine ERA, twenty four and a third innings, and Ciszek, uh seventy and a third innings, eighty appearances, two point one eight ERA for the Cubs. Just you know, really good. And and you know, he got Ciszek got less. And I get it. The Cubs might have been a sexier destination. They might have actually offered a contract, um, but he got less than uh, Swarzak. That's crazy. I, I mean, Swarzak would kind of fit into the genre for if we take some liberties. His name ends in K, yeah, at least. And, um, and Swarzak is one of those guys who, I mean, the signing doesn't look great right now, but he was hurt for so much of the year that it's hard to come down right. too hard on that contract until we have a better idea of sort of who the player is but I, I see what you're saying yeah i mean the only thing to come down hard on would be that injuries weren't anything new to him right, yeah. but you know he could still put up a season in 2019 that's you know oh wow okay that's that's the guy who they yeah. paid for um and yeah neshek got about the same contract as swarzak you know so uh you know it, it those kinds of things where, you know, you, we'll learn, I think, pretty quickly what the criteria is that they use, um, you know, what kinds of guys they they value. And, yeah, I, I to me, it's just about signing free agents. And then if you can pull off trades that, that can help you, now and you know moving forward uh great you know i don't want to let him off the hook and say like well i don't expect any trades because he's new you know uh but yeah just a, a real effort something an off season good enough to make mets fans excited for opening day and at least you know give some hope that with the way the division is right now you know, if Bryce Harper ends up out of it, which may or may not happen, but you know, you're looking at a division that I'm not saying that the Braves weren't good this year. Clearly they were, but you know, there's no, there's no powerhouse. There's the Astros and Red Sox and, and even the Yankees, as much as I hate to include them in this, aren't in the NL East. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. I, it doesn't have to be a bonanza, but just a series of solid moves, preferably ones that involve spending 
a significant amount of money in the right place, which, like, as Mets fans, that sounds unrealistic, right? <laughs> but it really isn't that hard. It can't be that hard. I mean, it can be, but we'll see. <laughs> um, I, I, I know, but, <laughs> well, like... I know what you say. And, and, you know, in defense of the people who do this work, the Internet is certainly not always right, but... You know, there are just some things that seem obvious that some teams seem to miss. Yeah. No, I um, I have sort of, a, 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 I think, a, a relatively fair criteria for success and then a totally unfair criteria for success. My, my fair one is I really want to see him do something I think the Mets have been very bad at doing in the last couple of years, and that's identifying what they need to do in the offseason. I feel like the last couple of years, the Mets have been handling the offseason the way you hear NFL teams talk about the draft, which is you draft the best available athlete, right? That's what you always hear at draft time. And I feel like last offseason, the Mets had a number of needs on the team, and they really didn't address any of those needs. They didn't pick up too many people that... I mean, the bullpen was a clear, a clear sore spot, and they brought in one reliever really you know um so i I think that it's 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 fair to ask him to identify the places on the team where they need real improvement to me that means bullpen that means catcher and that means some starting pitching depth um but you know but we'll see the unfair way that i don't know if we could ever really get clarity on this would be i would love to see him exhibit some autonomy in the position and to be able to make moves without being at the beck and call of the Wilpons. But again, I don't know how you judge that, and I don't know if that's fair, especially in his first season as GM, to expect that kind of autonomy. Maybe he gets there. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think the nature of a certain type of move might be indicative of uh, some form of autonomy. Or, or at least significant influence to the point of it sort of being autonomous. <laughs> you know, yeah, if he's really good at selling it to the Wilpons and they do it, then that can come off as autonomy, even if he, on the inside, you know, of that organization, even if he's having to, like, really push hard for things, it, it could come off that way. Yeah. Well, any other Brody thoughts? Uh, no, not, not yet. I think we will start to learn about his approaching capabilities very quickly. Yeah. Let's hope so, because it will be nice to, uh, know what we're getting ourselves into for next season. <laughs> uh, all right. So we do have an email and that comes from our friend David and it says, so. I'd love a scenario in which this email is irrelevant because the Mets sign May Machado and improve at the catcher position, but if that doesn't happen, what would be your 2019 lineup? I think the most competitive opening day lineup with current non-injured players is Nimmo, McNeil, just scrolling down here, Conforto, Bruce, Alonzo, Rosario, Frazier, Ploiecki, that's assuming Darno is either injured or non-tendered, and DeGrom. A few questions for you. Do you agree that this is the Mets' best lineup? Uh, sorry, Skype sucks now. Um, do you agree that this is the best Mets, Mets, Mets lineup with the players they currently have? If they were to concentrate on bolstering their bullpen this offseason, could the Mets compete with this lineup? Finally, this lineup is four lefties in a row and four righties in a row. While highly unusual, do you think this is a problem? Thanks, and let's go Mets. Um well, Chris, which part of this question do you want to take first? Uh, you know, the the, the best lineup uh-huh. part, I guess. You know, uh, I'd say, yeah, pretty much. Um, there's probably an argument to be made. You know, maybe Jay Bruce isn't permanently as bad as he was in 2018. You know, so... Sure, you can you can buy into a bounce back. Um, I'd probably like to move him down in the lineup a little bit, but you know, not the end of the world. Uh, to me, just making sure the best 
player is playing it, you know, uh, or an on on an everyday basis is the important thing. So uh, yeah, Nimmo obviously, Conforto, yep, McNeil, yep, I'm ready to hand that. And clearly within the organization, yes, um, Alonzo, yep, I'm. Let's find out what that is, and you know. <laughs> Kind of, I think he has such a good year in the minors that you know. Let's just see what it looks like at the major league level. I'm on board with that. Rosario, um, yeah, Frazier, yeah, and uh, Plawecki, same thing. So, you know that that I'm I'm mostly on board agreeing with that. The only thing that I was getting at was that you could say that Ligaris being in there. Might be a little bit better overall if you have Conforto and Nimmo in the corners. You know, we know who Ligaris is. He's not going to, we don't think, turn into Carlos Gomez um, in terms of the, being that sort of defense power right. combo. Uh, and he, he's never been the, the speedy base dealer that Gomez had been at times in his career. But I'd say the likelihood that he, you know, breaks out with the bat is pretty low. But if Bruce is going to suck again, then I'd rather, you know, have a, better defensive configuration in the outfield and live with the fact that Ligaris doesn't hit that much. Um, so, yeah, in, in that sense, uh, I would agree. Mostly. Yeah, I, I think that, again, this is presupposing they can't pick up any free agents or make any trades in the offseason. I think in that very, you know, uh, with those very strict criteria in place, I would probably put Frazier higher in the lineup, and I would probably put uh, Rosario. Actually, I don't know. The Mets are in that weird situation where they have both Nimmo and Rosario, neither of whom are really ideally a leadoff hitter, but one of whom will have to act that way next season more than likely. So I, right. I, could, be, I could argue for putting Rosario up top and giving him more opportunities but I'm also – I don't think he's ever going to become a 400-on-base guy. So I'm uh, I'm a little bit torn there. But I am um, – yeah, I, I think I would argue for Ligaris. Again, the reason I said that about the, the not trading or signing anybody, you know, rumor is it JT Real Muto wants out of Miami. If you can somehow yeah. get Real Muto to be the Mets catcher – then I'm totally fine with putting Rosario, um, Rosario goodness gracious, uh, Ligaris in the outfield every day, at least until Cespedes gets back. Because you're probably replacing a bit of Bruce's power with Real Muto, and you're sharing up your outfield defense. And with Real Muto behind the plate, you know it's, he's a better defensive catcher than Pulecki or Darno is. By putting Ligaris in center and Real Muto behind the plate, you're shoring up your up-the-middle defense, which is something that Van Wagenen mentioned in one of his interviews, that he is that he wants to improve the defense up the middle. So I could see that being a play, but that's not the question David asked us. David asked us, with these players, is this the best lineup? And I'll say probably sure. Um, his second question he asked was... Um, could the Mets compete with this lineup? I think that's that's the big question, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, you know, is it enough to just take this lineup and go get a bullpen and sort of that's it? I don't think so, you know? <laughs> I mean, if Alonzo is an amazing hitter and, and – uh, you know, he, he establishes that immediately, sort of the way McNeil did, then, you know, my optimism goes up. But, you know, I, I still have some concerns with this lineup. You know, you, you, uh, you'd like to upgrade, even if it seems like the guy you have is a, a pretty good solution, you know. And, uh, and the back of the rotation, it's not... You know, Stephen Matz, Jason Vargas. I'm not entirely sure what that's well, going like, to look like. He's talking <laughs> about the lineup, not the rest of the team here. No, no, I know, but I like it, when he says it, it's uh, you know, if they concentrate on the bullpen, I assume that means leave the oh, starting yeah, rotation sure. intact, and you know, roll out this lineup 
you know, that I, I don't think just the bullpen is enough. I think the bullpen is a major area of concern, um, you know, to the extent that it could have helped them avoid the tailspin that they went into after the hot start. Um, you know, maybe kept them afloat a little bit longer. Like it, it's almost, it's almost difficult to start eleven and one and then just plummet to a point of irrelevance before July. Um, well, that's kind of my point with this lineup. Is you know, I think this lineup, you know, again, in a wonderful rosy scenario. This lineup, I think, could compete because ultimately this is the lineup they're running out there at the end of the season. And the last, you know, month of the season, the Mets were playing pretty good baseball. They, uh, you know, and still a lot of those games got lost by the, got just, you know, chewed up at the end by a shitty bullpen. So I think if you did focus on the bullpen a little bit and you have a healthy Conforto, and you have McNeil, and you have Alonzo, I think the team maybe could compete. I, I, I'm not saying that it's necessarily a uh, a foregone conclusion, but I could see it. Yeah, I'll play the optimist for once. I could see that. All right. And then uh, <laughs> the lineup is four lefties in a row and then four righties in a row. Does that bother you? Uh... I don't get too hung up on that sort of thing, so I guess I'll say no. But you know, I I, um, I think even the most progressive major league manager probably will, and maybe there's some value in splitting those guys up. So yeah, I, it wouldn't be a huge concern of mine, but I, I don't suspect any team would quite roll out a lineup that was set up that way yeah i mean the only part the only time it gets problematic is the end of a game when you can bring in a left-handed reliever against you know nimmo mcneil conforto and bruce which is uh you know essentially your most uh you know the, the core of your offense can all be taken care of by one uh by one relief pitcher if it in that scenario. So that's the only part that would give me a little bit of pause, but like you, I don't get too worked up over that. So, um, yeah. Any other closing thoughts? No, just, uh, you know, it's good to be back and, uh, let's go Mets. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, at least we have a, something in place. Uh, you know, the way they approached everything, it seemed like there might not be a GM until like after half the offseason was over. So, you know, at least that process sped up, imperfect as it may have been. But, you know, we we have a guy to judge and, you know, <laughs> criticize and critique and praise and, and all of those things. You know, it, like the reset button has been pressed, at least in that role. Um, so yeah, we get to do this all again. You know, the, the, for me, the first time I was really like, I mean, I was aware of what the Mets were doing when I was younger, but the first time there was a GM change that I like was into and cared about was Mania to Alderson. So there's only the second. I was the Mania regime change was the first one I was like super invested in. Yeah, well, yeah, that makes sense too, because you know he he went out and did a lot of things that sound kind of similar to what I'm talking yeah, about exactly, now. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, these guys are good. Let's pay them and bring them in, and you know, and get uh, a competitive team quickly. Um, I I only wonder what would have happened if he hadn't pissed off Carlos Delgado and just signed him instead of trading for him a year later. But, yeah. So, yeah, that was... Then we wouldn't have had Doug Mankiewicz, man. I know. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, so, it's only, for me, the second time. I think a lot of what Manaya did caught my attention and got me into those things. 
but it, I wasn't like, you know, super invested in, okay, the Mets are changing general managers uh, in the same way as the last time and now this time. So, so yeah, we, we have uh, a new chapter in Mets history and I don't know. It's exciting, I guess, that we get to learn about the way this guy's going to operate and, uh, you know, hopefully we all love him in a year, but we'll see. Yeah. And uh, we mentioned at the top of the show our plans for episode 300 next week. We hope you came out for it. And uh, we'll see you then. Well, folks, that does it for this installment of Amazing Avenue Audio. Thank you so much for listening. It's been a long time since I've recorded the end of the show, so hopefully I nail all the things I have to say. You can find us all over at AmazingAvenue.com, where we're in the middle of our uh, season and review pieces for all the players in the team, as well as about to start our free agent profiles. And the AAOP is coming up soon, the Amazing Avenue Off-Season Plan Contest. We will have more information on that in the coming days. You can also find Amazing Avenue on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Amazing Avenue. Next time, you will have contributions from folks other than Chris and I, but we wanted to kind of do an old-school, back-to-basics show, so you can find the two of us on Twitter. I am at Brian Needs a Nap. Chris is at Chris McShane. You can get this show from blogtalkradio.com, from Apple Podcasts, from Stitcher, from wherever you get your podcasts. For now, DM us your questions. We are getting a new email address set up ASAP. I believe it will be amazingavenueaudio at gmail.com, but don't hold me to that. And please, please come out on Saturday. We hope to see you guys there. It would be great to have a large contingent. If you're going to come to the meetup, please go to amazingavenue.com. Look for the article about it. We posted an article about the meetup and please take the Google survey there to let us know you're coming just so we have a vague idea of who's going to be there. So, hope you've had a good off-season so far, and until next time, let's go Brody, let's go Mets.